Hi everybody, it's Pete Oliver. Welcome to the Emerge On Purpose podcast. This podcast is for sales reps and managers who want to become better leaders. Each show, we'll talk about a different leadership principle that will help sales reps and managers emerge on purpose. Hello, folks. Lindsay Getting and Pete Oliver here, back with another episode of Emerge on Purpose. Today, we're going to be talking about coaching, something that we address a lot. But specifically, what are the tips? What are the tricks? What are the real laser-like areas of focus when it comes to turning B players into A players? So we're going to talk about that move the middle strategy, as many like to call it, define A reps, define B reps, and dig into some of those strategies and tactics to help move the needle a little bit. So uh, let's start, Pete, with you. I know we were kind of determining what we wanted to address, and I feel like like this keeps coming up with conversations with our clients. So why do you feel that this is so important? Well, you always want to get the most out of your team. And I think if you think about it from the macro level, one of the big mistakes leaders sometimes make is they will focus way too much effort on their bottom third. And you almost get nothing out of that exercise. It's, I don't know why that is. Perhaps it's because everybody gets a trophy now, (laughs) or um, you can't leave anybody behind, which are are valid strategies in certain situations inside of life, but not when you're running a sales team. So if, if you want to get the most out of your sales team, then you have to spend the most time with your A players and your B players. So uh question is, well, what does that mean? Like, what's the difference between an A player, a B player, uh, and a C player? And after you define what that looks like, you're probably going to see a bell curve. You're probably going to see 20% on the bottom. You'll, you'll see 60% in the middle and you'll see 20% that are overachievers. And we see that playing out over and over and over again. And what you want to do is maximize your A's and your B's the best that you can. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that you hit on so many good points. And you're right. Like when either it, it seems too, it's like you're focusing on the bottom 20% or maybe just on the top 20%, like checking in with them. And um, instead of like, oh, they've got it, just let them go. Like just let let them, whatever they're doing, they're doing something right. Just leave them alone. Um, so it's those 60% in the middle who are solid, eager to learn. At least there's definitely a handful in there who are, who are eager to learn. They get left in the cold a little bit. So what can you do with them and give them some nurturing and water them to help, whether it's steel advancement or skill enhancement, what are those things that you can do? And uh, that 2060 rule, you can ask anybody, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a team of 10, a team of 100 in sales. It's, okay, how many if, if a team of 10? It's like, oh, yeah, I got about three really excellent players, maybe two, two not so great. Maybe they're, you know, we've been thinking about managing them out for three months or they're on a plan uh, for improvement and then the middle. So I think you're right. It's like, really, how do we nurture those those middle folks? So let's start with defining them. A, B, and C players. So top, middle, bottom. Break it down for us. Yeah, that's that's an actually it's a pretty complicated question because a lot of times you think somebody is a C and they're actually not. They've got a great attitude. They're doing all the behavior. They just don't have the skill set. So they have the opportunity to keep growing and keep getting better. So whatever you would decide, whatever you would define as an A, B, or C, I think it's pretty important to have some clarity around what you mean by that. So for me, the C players are the ones that basically don't do anything. They've they've got a bad attitude and they do no behavior. Sure. So 
it doesn't matter what kind of technique they have. It's irrelevant because they're, they're, they've already self-defeated and they're not doing any of the behavior. And your B players are the ones that are, are do, do, do stuff and they are growing. They, they may have some head trash around certain aspects of their role, but they're inherently fairly positive with the way they view things. And they're willing to learn. They're willing to try. They have, they've got a very high self-awareness. They've got some intellectual humility where they know that, that they can get better and they've become a part of their own plan and they're still climbing. So, but they have some gaps, right? So their gaps might be results that it might be knowledge and, but they're climbing, they're going up, if you will. And, and then your A's by the, are the ones that have all that. Plus they've got the skill set and they've, they've got the track record and the results. One thing I will say, if Lindsay, I'll ask you this question, like, let's pretend you were a leader and you wanted to time slice who you're spending your time with. Give, give me a percentage for A's, for B's, and for C's. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, if I, if I'm just saying pure time bent with each of them, I would say maybe 20%. I mean, it kind of goes back to the, the, um, 20, 60, 20, um, or maybe even less. Like I would say lean 60 to 80% with those B players, coaching them, uh, setting small goals to test buy-in, develop a success track, really trying to move the needle with whether it's the beliefs and that baggage that they might have, that head trash, right? They're getting in their own way. And then they can build off the previous successes, those lagging leading indicators that we're tracking. And yeah, I mean, I think with the lower performers, they've probably been there for a while and it gets to a point where sure they're on some sort of plan to, to get back to, to the middle and then build from there. But I'm not going to, I hate to say waste a ton of time on them, but it's going to be limited. And then again, the, the, as I was saying before, the top performers, it's, they figured it out, right? They're ambitious. They're driven. They're doing the behaviors. They've got the right attitude. They're confident. Like just let them fly. Don't get in their way. That's always been my, uh, you know, wanting to challenge them, but not get in their way. Cause they're just let them go. What is your take on that? Yeah. You know, I'm, this is why we do this, right? Like hundred percent agree with half of what you said. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll challenge you on the other half yeah. and maybe we we'll decide together. Maybe we're probably somewhere in the middle here, but mm-hmm. I, I, the only, the only time you should be set spending with your C players is to get them out. Mm-hmm. So like as little as possible is the answer. Yeah. Assuming they're actually RCs, which means that they're definitely camping. They have got a terrible attitude. They're not doing any behavior sure. and they're, they're just dragging down the overall culture on the team. Like the, they're, they're really the only thing you can do there is spend as little time with them as possible mm-hmm. and just admit you made a bad hire and move on from the person. Sure. Well, they're not happy either, yeah. right? Like you have to always, no, they aren't. always remind people that like you're not doing a bad thing. If you're having this sense and gut instinct, they're not, they're not happy either. Not everyone wants to make personal and meaningful impact in their role especially when you're in sales, you want to earn money, like a lot of it, if, if possible, but they're not yeah. happy either. You've got to, it's okay to have that real conversation, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I hundred percent there. And the thing I, I might look at differently, and it's probably situational to some extent is if you think about where the revenue comes from on your team, mm-hmm. a lot of the eight players are the ones that are going to generate the revenue. Oh, yeah. It might follow the 80, 20 rule, 20% of your players are generating 80% of your revenue and sharp edge tweaks with those people can, and oftentimes create a lot of upside. So if you can, and a lot of, you're right, it's not like you need to supervise them, but you could play a role to enable them to coach themselves and then figure out.
about what their next 1%, 2%, 3% changes are. And a lot of times that's a very time intensive exercise to deal with A players. And, you know, I see it in our, our own Sandler business. It says an example, we've got 250 Sandler franchises out there. And lucky for us, we're definitely in the top 20%. Yeah. But you think how much time I spend trying to learn from other people to make our franchise better. We would not be in this position if there weren't people around us that were trying to make us better, Certainly. even though we're in the top 20%, you know? So I, I might I might consider somewhat of an equal split between the A players and the B players. And sure. So maybe it's 10% in the C land if you're good at managing people out. Maybe it's 20% if you're not good at it. Yeah. And then A's and B's, somewhat of an equal split. But mm-hmm. again, it might depend on your team too. Just that you, may, you might have a lot of people inside of your B category and only one or two A's, but... What I wouldn't do is per person, you're, you're going to want to spend more time, frankly, with your A's than your B's, believe sure. it or not. Because there's probably yeah. only a few of them. And those are the people you want to stick around to. Yeah, no, that's exactly and, what I was thinking as well um, as you're talking about it. And you've got to take care, of the, make sure they're not bored, make sure that you are, because they clearly are climbers. They want to keep climbing. They want to be challenged. They want to get to the next level. Uh, so what is that time that you're spending with them? How do you show that you love your clients, your reps, that you love them, you, you know, love, uh, or is developing that business intimacy? And so that perhaps it's just really understanding their personal goals and making sure that you're helping them get to where they need to be revenue-wise or uh, photo-wise in order to hit those goals and getting them excited and keeping that fire there. So um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Making sure that they want to stay <laughs> and yeah. that they feel valued. Yeah. I would almost put the A's and the B's like just lump them pretty much into the same category. Sure. It's just the way you're going to coach as far from a time perspective, I would. Yes. But yes. the way, the way you're going to coach them is going to be way different, obviously. Certainly. Yeah. I think in my head at first um, I was thinking like supervisory hat, but when it comes to coaching, if you don't, yeah. if you don't wear that hat and and do those check-ins and challenge them and do those smart those uh sharp edge tweaks then they'll get bored and look elsewhere uh they'll 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 notice pretty fast um yeah yeah really yeah supervisor role you're going to spend more time with your b's than your a's for sure yeah love it so if we look at that 60%, we're trying to identify what are some of those, when we're wearing the coaching hat, those tactical things that we can do. We understand that they have a, a good attitude. They are eager. They want to learn. Perhaps it's the awareness problem. They don't know what to do. Uh, how do you start identifying the gap? Yeah, I think anytime you're, you're in, and now again, if we're if we're talking about a B player, hopefully we're in coach mode quite a bit. So we, we want to become a part of their plan and then help understand what their feeling is on their gaps. So there, there's a so what is it? What is pain? It's a gap between where you are and where you want to be. Like if you're a B player and you want to be an A player, then they ought to recognize what the difference is, what the delta is. Mm-hmm. So it's it's getting that awareness and. I, I think it's helpful to compartmentalize their current state in the three categories. It's, and then there's subcategories underneath those, but those three categories are their attitude about things and their behavior, which starts with their vision and their goals. And, and, and then it 
manifests into a plan and then sooner or later they start acting on that plan. And, and then the third is their their skill sets, their techniques around the different job functions that they play. So let's say you're managing uh, and it can be different based on the type of role. So if you're a typical sales rep that is responsible for prospecting, for discovery, for managing the opportunities, for closing, for account management, then they're going to have subcategories of attitudes, behaviors, and techniques within all of those buckets. Mm -hmm. So it's not as simple as, oh, they got a great attitude. Well, everybody has head trash about something. Everybody has comfort zones. So it's getting an understanding about what their perspective is on that. So where are their gaps? What do they think are their basic climbing moments here around where they want to get better at something? It could be an attitude, could be a behavior, could be a technique. So how do you do that as a leader? Well, you ask them for one. And if they can't tell you anything, you know, you might have a self-awareness problem. You might have an intellectual humility problem. There's some tricks you can do to try to tease that out a little bit more. For one, have them record a call and then self-critique it. And if they can't do that effectively, you might have a problem there because you can't become a part of their plan if they don't think they need to change. So you're going to get somebody that's stuck in B-land forever. So, but that's, that's a big part of it in the beginning is trying to figure out from a baseline perspective, where do they fit? Where do they, within their job functions and help them self-realize what needs to get better. Maybe they're reacting too much to somebody else's plan. They've got an issue inside of the behavior bucket. Maybe they are really good at discovery, but they sit on their hands all day and aren't prospecting enough to get new leads. And there's probably an attitude behind why that's the case. Uh, so it, it really is getting to a level of detail around baselining where they are and where they want to be. And sometimes you might need to help them figure out where they want to be, but yeah, well, I, I think you're totally right. I mean, you have to get a little granular because it's like first figuring out which part of the funnel are they struggling with? Where's the biggest gap? So is it more of the top of the funnel prospecting stuff? Is it more of the qualification or getting to real pain, getting beyond symptom and actually getting to maybe business or personal impact pain? Or is it as you get closer towards the bottom of the funnel when you're having to do really set up ultimate upfront contracts of the proposal and then the decision making, making sure everything is just like all the boxes are checked in a way that you're pretty clear and solidified to close the deal. Where Where is that problem? And then getting down to the root of what's preventing them. So whether it's asking for referrals, why aren't they asking for referrals? Okay, well, maybe there's some sort of belief there that you don't want to make other people or make your problems other people's problems. You've got to take care of yourself. And so those are just authority programming that we've had. Like, oh, don't don't put your problems on anyone else. So then they don't ask for referrals. They think it's uncomfortable. They think it's self-serving. So then they just don't do it because they're afraid to do it. So how are you going to uncover all of those different and peel back the onion uh, if you're not initially asking them those questions? I think sometimes we'll hear leaders like, how do we even what do I even ask in the beginning to get them to open up and be vulnerable with me to, to uncover some of that stuff? Yeah. And, you know, it brings up a good point. One of the Sandler rules for sales leaders is wear one hat at a time. 
Absolutely. Let's say you had a rep that was dealing with what you just said and you wanted to tease that out and then understand why maybe they aren't asking for referrals, why their pipeline is somewhat single threaded, if you will. Yep. And, um, you know, it could be something inside of their head with a mindset thing that's stopping them from doing the right behavior. Probably not the right time to bring that up on the heels of a forecasting call when you're beating them up about the fact that they're hanging on the deals that are never going to close. And, and then it's like, you can't like just switch gears on a dime and be like, so tell me, tell me what's going through your head when it comes to asking. It just doesn't work in that not setting because they're not safe. They're, they're in preservation mode at that point because they know their pipeline isn't good. So it's like, how do you put that coaching hat on and really dive deeper into what's going on when it comes to pipeline generation it's it's a different exercise than a forecasting conversation so uh, yeah, it's making sure that, that you have time for those, for those things to yeah. uncover that yeah another uh i think when you are setting a coaching cadence and this goes without saying seems obvious statement but it's not an event it's a it's an ongoing cadence right like hey we're going to have coaching what do you need help with and it's just this kind of awkward transactional it's like uh uh it it just doesn't seem to so it's like how do you the uh, sandler rule for leaders is create the curbs on the roadway like some sort of structure to what your coaching is going to look like don't over engineer it engineer it but realize that having some sort of momentum it's having consistency in the conversations so what are those three, four, five questions that you might ask at the beginning of every single coaching session. That's something I do with coaching clients, not only with Sandler, but with some of my personal training clients, like what's going well, what could be better? Let them talk because they believe their own data. What outcomes are you hoping to achieve through having this conversation through this current sales play? We're moving, whatever it might be. those and I have a like a list of four or five which I can plug in. I'll, I'll pop into um, beneath this this video, making them talk and open up. Like, what are you? And I think there's, of course, there's an acronym for it. But um, like, what are the facts of life? What are you frustrated with? Avoiding, concerned, tolerating, and scared of. And those things will just if you start maybe the first or second session, they're not going to open up, but then they know those questions are coming. So I find that after two or three, you start really peeling back that onion and they open up because it's like, OK, well, if I'm going to spend my time doing this and make it worth my while, let's have that transparency. Yeah, here, here's an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was coaching a client and she's a business owner, very successful, top of her field, if you will, as far as how successful this particular business is. She's got a partner and they both do a really good job and they both get there in completely different ways. She mm-hmm. spends a ton of time servicing her clients and they love her so much that the referrals just come in. And because that's where she invests a lot of her time, she generates referrals because of all that proactive care that she puts in with her clients. But self-admittedly, she's she doesn't have a plan around asking for introductions and referrals. They just seem to come to her. Huh. So, like, imagine you're picking fruit off a tree. Like, she, she gets fruit that drops to the ground all the time, and she doesn't even need to reach up and get it. Sure. And then I was like, well, what if you just reached up 
and grab the piece of fruit instead of waiting for it to fall to the ground. Like what would happen then? And he, and she goes, I don't know, but I'm really uncomfortable with, with asking. So we had to unpack that and understand well why that is and then sure. figure out, okay, well, what's the worst case scenario if you ask and they don't give you one? What is, what's, what does that mean in terms mm-hmm. of a negative outcome? And then the, the only thing you can do at an, at an end of a coaching conversation like that is to create a clear next step. And it doesn't mean that you need to go from uh, standing still to a, to a Olympic level sprint. Right. It just means you have to take the first step. So yeah. you had to decide like what that first step actually is and, yeah. and then do it within a certain timeline. So imagine trying to have that conversation with somebody when you're beating them up about their forecast. Like it just doesn't work. It just, yeah. it, it just doesn't work. So you basically isolate where they believe they, they could get some positive uh, results and then help them determine what their next step is to, to get them moving when it comes to whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. But that is absolutely a coaching exercise. And even with a play, and that's an example of like an A player sharp edge tweak. Yes. That if you don't spend the time with those A players and you're like, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. You're you're doing better than 90% of the other people in your field out there. So just keep doing what you're doing versus what if that person changed one behavior could could have a 10 20 percent increase on what's already awesome which yeah which, i so, thought the same exact thing as you were describing that story is there's a, a climber right there who's killing it but if you and so then again that head trash and belief systems they still exist and really confident ambitions they're still human uh and if you don't uncover that information or or people might just say yeah well my my book is too good i don't need referrals like i, I don't you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm not, I don't need to ask for referrals. Like they just kind of downplay it because it does feel like that typical needy asking, uh, uncomfortable. But what if they did? What if they made that a behavior? Like how much higher will they be able to climb if you don't push them and challenge them that way? So yeah, you're spot on. And that's so cool to that that she wants to have that conversation and, and wants to get out of her own way. Yeah. I will say it wasn't, she didn't necessarily want to have the conversation, <laughs> Fair. Fair. Yeah. which is, which is okay. Some sure. occasionally a players will, will, will be um, a little rigid. They got there because mm-hmm. of perseverance and willpower and doesn't necessarily mean that they are constantly in the moment ready to admit that they need to make a change, but it could just be a simple scotoma. And then you help them uncover that and remove it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People believe the stories that they tell themselves right over and over and over again until somebody challenges them to think differently. So that's what you have to do with your A players is challenge them to think differently a little bit might be hard for them to admit it, but in time, to your point, they'll they'll come around. I'm curious, after you were having that little bit of uncomfortable conversation and maybe she came to the realization and you asked her, hey, what's your one small action you can take that would have great impact on, on moving towards a stronger outcome with referrals? What did she say? Did she commit to one? She did. And in like two days, it was it was going to be a month between conversations and like two days yeah. later, she, she sent me the email where she executed the, awesome. the ask. And um, it's funny. The outcome was kind of irrelevant. It was just, she was just excited. She did the behavior. Totally. Which, and, and there, 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 this guy did not fall when it, when the behavior was over either, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that's, 
That's huge, though. Uh, it's just like anything, compound interest. She does it once. She builds up the, the guts to continue to do it. And that's all you have to do. I say that all the time. You have to take those gutsy moments five seconds at a time. And so she she did that. And now you build that uh, that kind of personal integrity. Right. I, I love that concept of of staying true to the commitments you make to yourself. And she made a commitment to you. So as soon as she did it, she shared it with you. Even just asking in a coaching session, hey, like send me an email with what we discussed and what your coaching commitment is. Or let me know as soon as you move the needle or do one of these behaviors. Just And they're like, what? Oh, you want me to email you? It's like, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I want to hear about it. Um, it, It's... they might not think it's a big deal and then they do it and they're like, okay, I will pat myself on the back for that. Yeah. And that, that brings up an important point too. When you're, when you're creating a coaching process with your folks, especially the, the, the B players and the A players, it's, it's committing to an action. And then at the start of the next conversation, what happened when you did that action? Everybody's busy. The world is not us. It's not like they leave the coaching conversation and only think about that discussion that you had. They go, they have to react to their clients, do their job. They have a personal life, all that stuff happens. So a lot of times we need to, we need to be a part of that process where we're assisting them at at remembering that they want to do the behavior when the coaching session's over. The best way to do that is ask them about it at the beginning of the next session. How did it go? What happened? What were the lessons learned that you had? What worked? What didn't work? If you had to do it again, what would you change? Okay. What's next? Mm -hmm. And then that's how the coaching process evolves. Yeah. That's why I have those set lists of questions. They just know at the beginning of each one, those are the questions I'm going to ask there. It's nothing uh, crazy or it's just here are the questions. So be prepared to have that conversation. And it's another rule for Sandler rule for leaders is have a debriefing process, whether it's through just the, the actions you committed to, uh, or perhaps a sales call that you practice together and prepared for together, having some sort of debrief in order for them to see that you're really committed to their success uh, is, yeah. is huge. Um, it's just, yeah. One other point too, I'll make is specifically we're here to talk about moving B's to A's. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a subtle difference between somebody that was an A and they kind of got stuck and then they got leapfrogged by a bunch of people and they're stuck doing it the way they've always done it. Now they've turned into a B because mm-hmm. what an A now means is different than what it used to mean. Yeah. So you, you may find that you have people that are, that have been left behind to some extent. They got comfortable. They climbed up the mountain really fast, but then they got this great view and maybe similar to the one you're looking at behind me right here. And they're like, Oh, this, this is good. This is it. I'm good. I'm good. And then they start camping and they get stuck. So it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world if they get stuck with the perfect view in in their eyes and they're good with doing what they're doing. It It's not necessarily a bad thing to have people like that on your team that are successful and, and continue to do it the same way. Big question is, do they want to change? Do they want to get better? And have they defined that they've got a different version now of what their new A is, like what's motivating them, what's driving them. I think one of the big mistakes leaders make is they 
they think the world is all about us and the quotas we give them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if, if we can do a better job of determining why the person would want to climb. Huge. And if you're the one that helps them determine that there is a new peak, there is a new view, there is a new mountaintop, they're never going to leave because they've, they've determined that you're a part of their plan because mm-hmm. you've helped decide you want to get someplace else. So there's a subtle difference between coaching those folks that were okay. A's and turned into B's than the ones that are on their way up versus got there and hit a plateau and then sure. people leapfrog them. So yeah, it, not making assumptions, have the conversation, see it through their eyes. And that's again, like understanding their why. Yeah. Like there's, goal list. there's this, this, this guy that worked for me years ago in the te- when I was running a technology sales team and he was actually two guys have very similar career paths. They, they basically plateaued at a level that was higher than anybody else inside the organization. And so what do they do? They stayed there for another 15 years after I stopped managing them. Hmm. They literally continued to, to do that level of, and they were happy. They liked their work, work-life balance. They loved their clients. They cared, but they've decided this is their, their place. And I don't sure. think there's anything wrong with that. There are plenty of people that continue to climb that would never achieve the level of success that these two did. Yeah. They decided to stay in the role and keep doing it. They didn't need to become a leader or go start an IPO or do any of that because their goals shifted and, and they, they wanted that, that balance, that quality of life. So they continued to do the way they did it. So what do you do? You, you, you help them maintain and. Yeah. In some cases, it's not the end of the world. Like, what if that was who you had on your team and you understood their personal goals and you were the one that tried to manage them up? They're going to leave. Like, why would you do that to somebody that's already achieving that level of success? So it's not like in every situation you're going to try to coach people up beyond another level of performance. For them, maybe it's leveraging them to help other people perform at the level they're at. So there's other things you may ask of them, not necessarily continue climbing. Yeah. Well, that's where, um, yeah, like allowing them to be a mentor and, and sharing the wealth that, that would be cool. But that's where, yeah, getting to their why and understanding like those exercises that we, we do together as a team as well with our clients or what are your values? Well, if their values are flexibility or family or whatever else, that's a part of their calculus in life. And yes, work is important and they want to continue to do well, but maintenance is where they are right now. Having that clear picture, if you're only looking at them as an individual who is a member of your team, then uh, yeah, that pressure to do elsewhere is not going to go in your favor. So let's here finish the story. So new leader comes in and says, Hey, you got to start doing this, this, and this. I want you to do this, this, and this. I want you to do this, this, and this. Any guesses what that guy did? <laughs> Left. Yeah. He retired. He's like, yeah. yeah. Now yeah. what? Now you got to go deal with like 30% of your business with somebody new. Right. No. You, any, any sales leader has to understand the, the, the macro. Yeah. Of a situation and not simply look at the micro and demonstrate your authority uh, because you're the new person that's that's running the ship. No, there's you are the new person that's like, remember that. Right. And then have some humility yourself as a leader, because if if you don't, then you're going to create waves that don't need to be there. Yeah. So many different 
aspects of what we've talked about just applies the 70-30 rule, right? Like whether you're a new leader, whether you're developing a coaching process, ask questions and listen, let them talk. So you're a new leader, ask some questions. What's going well? It's like the same questions apply. We don't have to get super creative and over-engineer. So I think that that's like part of what we're saying as well. If you have just a structure, right? And those are, we've covered so many different things in 30 minutes that we've been talking, wear one hat at a time. It's be understand coaching time and the supervisory forecasting time is is separate. And yeah, your time is limited, but it it must be separate and it's got to be split or it's just not going to make the impact that you want it to. Um, Curbs on the roadway, having that structure, asking the same questions and building momentum in every single session, picking up where you left off. What, how did the actions go? Uh, that why and personal goal list that we've talked about, new peak, new view. How do you get them depending on where they are? If you're seeing it through their lens, what that means to them. Uh, so it's not this crazy. It, it's just stick to it and be consistent with it. Yeah. I, I think high level, you baseline the current state through this. CBA lens, mm-hmm. but you do it th- from their perspective. And, and then if your perspective is different, then you have to manage those deltas between what you think and what they think. But it's actually more important about what they think than what you think. If you're trying to enable their climb, if they're a B or an A, if it's a C, it's a different Correct. situation. Yeah. So get the baseline established first and then make sure that they understand what climbing means to them. Do it through the lens of attitude, behavior, technique, and then be a part of their plan through a consistent process, like you said. And that's how you change B's and A's. Yeah, huge. I love it. I I think uh, so much of the focus is, yeah, give them that time. I think that through this 25 minutes, I would change my answer to my my original answer, but uh, especially when it comes to the coaching and, and, uh, being able to move that middle, you've got to spend time with them. So uh, any last comments that you, you have to tie a bow on this, Pete? I think we've um, we've offered multiple different uh, kind of high-level concepts and, and, and tactics to start moving that needle. Yeah, I, I would say what I just said is probably seems fairly simple, even though it's not easy to execute. <laughs> right. Because there's so many variables associated with why somebody, I think treating your people like they're your partner and you're climbing up the mountain together versus you pulling them up or them pulling you up, there's too much friction in that type of model. So that there has to be a equal business stature, if you will, between the people that you work with, the people that work for you or the people you work for. Because without that, yes, yeah, somebody's got to lead, but it doesn't mean you need to pull the other person up the hill. It's just, that's just doesn't, yeah. it's just really hard to get any kind of momentum if that's how you're trying to literally drag the bees to ace. It just doesn't work. So uh, yeah, and certainly leaders, we know many of them who don't necessarily have the soft skills. Right. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to move these B's to A's. And I'm, that means I'm just going to lay the hammer and steamroll them. And like you said, this is where we're going. This is what you're doing. This is where you need to be or else type of. Uh, and. Obviously, hearing that 
people will think, oh, that's not me. I don't do that. But when you've got pressure, when you're in a down economy and you've got a million to do's, you've got a full plate and time is limited, it just can end up turning into that kind of culture, which is toxic. And I always say that culture is either taught or caught. So that gets caught really quickly and your A players are going to be gone and your B players (laughs) will just perhaps not perform or look elsewhere too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we have, we have our, our, our company is like, it's not all those how to's around IR theory and transactional analysis and, and, you know, blowing up your comfort zones and, and having a, a coaching cadence and um questioning skills for leaders. And it goes on and on and on and on. Like what I said is, is, is how, it, how you want it to be done, but then going to do it. It's just, it's just isn't easy, you know, no. but it, it yeah. really is fun to try to figure it out, assuming you, you want to go do that. So. Um, yeah. Uh Well, that brings me to, you know, many other podcast topics that we could break down, right? Those, those soft skills when it comes to coaching and being able to, despite the down economy and pressure, how to really create that culture, which can be a challenge, uh, as well as just maximizing seller efficiency in general. I mean, there, we could have a whole, uh, a whole podcast on those sharp edge tweaks with the A players. I think that could be really fun too. So, um, this was a fun one. I, I enjoyed this conversation. I feel like, we certainly offered a couple tidbits here and there. So uh, we'll talk about a, a part B to th- these last few minutes in the near future. Thanks, Lindsay. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later.